The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, hey, well, we are in the, uh, the second week of a series we've been in on the book of Galatians. Uh, and as uh, Pastor Barrett mentioned at the beginning of our, our gathering, that, that we, for the next six weeks, are going to be going through the book of Galatians. There are six chapters in Galatians, and so we're covering a chapter a week. We're moving at a pretty good clip here. Uh, but, you know, hey, you show up to church six weeks in a row, you'll have read through a book of the Bible. So, you know, that and two bucks will get you a cup of coffee. So it's a good thing. Uh, so, so anyway, so real quick, summary for those of you that weren't with us last week, chapter one, uh, we, we dug into this book, and so first of all, we kind of saw the context, and we saw that the book of Galatians, uh, it's actually a letter uh, written to a, a collection of churches in a, in a province of Rome called Galatia, which is uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was written about uh, 51 AD, written by the Apostle Paul, a leader in the early church. And, and he wrote this letter because just a, a few years before writing it, uh, he had actually planted these churches. He started them, got them up and running. Uh, and the way he did that is he did what we do in all churches, is he went in and he, he proclaimed the gospel. And he said, hey, here's the good news. That doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, uh, but, but God in Jesus has reconciled himself to you, that, that you're forgiven, you're set free, that the grace of God is for you simply by, by trusting in, in what Jesus has done for you. And so he did that, and he starts the church, and then off he goes doing his thing. Uh, and some false teachers snuck in shortly after that. And they said, hey, yeah, we know, you know, Paul said that, you know, the only thing you need to be right with God is, is the grace of Jesus. And they said, yeah, that's sort of true, but it's the grace of Jesus, and you got to follow all our religious rules and regulations. It's the grace of Jesus, and you got to do this. Paul says, hey, no, 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 you're saved just by Jesus. They say, no, it's Jesus and something else. And so Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia. We have this book of Galatians because he's teaching these people again about the true freedom and the true life that we have in the gospel. Now I say all that, and someone says, okay, like what's that got to do with me? Like what's that got to do with my life? Everything. And this, for me, is kind of like my big overarching goal for this series, is that you'd see that, that the truth of the gospel has the ability to infiltrate every area of your life. It does. The truth of the gospel has the ability to infiltrate every area of your life. And so here's what we're going to see, though, in chapter 2 of Galatians today. First of all, we're going to see the truth of the gospel confirmed. Secondly, we're going to see the struggle to live in step with the gospel and then thirdly, we're going to see the solution to that struggle is found in Christ. Okay? We're going to see the truth, the struggle, the solution. All right? That's kind of where we're going today. Uh, so let's get going. Uh, the truth of the gospel confirmed. Uh, so one of the areas that I'm trying to, to grow most as a communicator right now uh, is my ability to, to really be relatable to people who uh, maybe didn't grow up in the church or aren't Christians or, or just aren't familiar. Because you guys ever notice this? If you grew up in the church, if you're a Christian, if you grew up, uh, you know, we kind of like have a language that we use. Uh, some people like to call it Christianese, right? Like it's like we just sort of have a way of speaking that if you didn't grow up in this sort of community, uh, it's really hard to understand what we're talking about sometimes. And, and so for me, I'm trying to grow beyond that. I'm trying to speak in a way that's accessible to people that, that don't share uh, our faith. And, and so anyway, so one of the ways that I do that is I actually, I have my, uh, some of my non-Christian friends, I have them listen to my sermons. And so I'm like, hey, can you listen to these four sermons? And then they give me feedback. And they say, hey, you know, I thought this was great. I didn't understand what you were saying here. You lost me here. And they just help me understand where my language is breaking down. 
Uh, so anyways, I asked my friend Corey. Uh, she wasn't raised in a Christian home, not a Christian now. I asked her to listen to, to four of my sermons, and then her and I, about a month ago, we're going to sit down and, and talk about them. Uh, so we do that. Now, I'm obviously very intentional with the sermons that I want her to listen to, right? Uh, and I really, in particular, am going for ones where, like, I'm making the gospel really clear, where that's like, I'm just trying to spell it out and make clear what it is, this core belief that we hold to as Christians. Um, and because really, for me, like, that's what it's all about, right? So I want her to check and let me know if she understands what I'm saying, because, like, if I'm not communicating the gospel clearly, like, that is an issue, right? Like, you should fire me. Like, it is not good, like, that is, I mean, it's, it's what I believe I'm literally here to do on this earth. So if I'm not doing it well, we got problems, right? So, so Corey and I, we go to sit down, and we go to talk about these sermons, and I'm actually, like, pretty nervous as I go to sit down with her because I'm like, dude, if she doesn't get it, I'm just going to leave ministry. You know, like, like she's going to be bad. Uh, and so, so we go, and we sit down, and we start going through the first sermon, and she says, all right, well, hey, you know, I thought this part was interesting. That was very cool. Okay, so on and so forth. And then she says, okay, so Gabe, I, I, I got to the end. And at the end of the sermon, you talked about how, like, people are made right with God, that they're put in a right relationship with God, and that it doesn't matter what they do or don't do. You said, like, God just loves them because Jesus died on the cross for them. And I was like, yes, yes, that is it. Yes, that's about right. And she goes, really? I said, yeah, really. She's like, so you can do whatever you want. But if you trust in Jesus, like, you're good to go in God's eyes. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, that's, that's grace. And she goes, well, then, like, won't people just do whatever they want? And I remember in that moment, like, this may surprise you, but I actually, like, that was when my nerves finally released. Like, I actually got really excited when she said that because it means she got it. She got it. Because... Literally, grace, the gospel, Jesus is actually that freeing. It's actually that liberating. See, I think sometimes we think, okay, Jesus saved me, and in order to stay there, i got to follow all the rules now. That's not how it works. We think, hey, Jesus saved me, and, and I'll stay loved by God as long as I behave properly, as long as I do what I'm supposed to do. That isn't how it works. Oh, Jesus saved me and he's going to walk alongside me as long as I'm at church every single Sunday. That isn't how it works. Now, we're going to talk about following Jesus and living the Christian life in a little bit here. But if we're really going to understand the gospel, we got to see it the way my friend Corey did. It's got to be like that liberating. It's got to be that scandalous in our minds. That that's how freeing the gospel is. Because, hear this this morning, the gospel, grace, the cross, says that God's saving work in Jesus Christ is not conditional on your performance. Past, present, or future. Okay, hear that again. God's saving work in Jesus Christ is not conditional on your performance. Past, present, or future. God's saving work in Jesus Christ is dependent on one person's performance. That's Jesus Christ. And he performed perfectly for you. Now, this is what we call freedom in Christ. 
And this is what Paul talks about really uh, at the, the first 10 verses of chapter 2 of, God, of, of Galatians. Is he saying, listen, the gospel is really this free. Don't be bogged down again. You're set free in Christ. It's a truth that he's affirming. It's this truth of the gospel that he's reteaching them. And see, what was happening, the specific issue in Galatia at this time was these false teachers came in, they're called Judaizers, and they said, hey, uh, yes, you're set free in Christ, the grace is for you, but you also, in order to truly be saved, you have to be culturally Jewish. And then even more specifically, they said, so all the male Gentile converts have to be circumcised. So as Paul's writing this letter, these dudes got a lot hanging in the balance here, right? Like, they are waiting with bated breath on his words. So Paul gets to work. And, and in the first 10 verses of, of chapter 2, he says, hey, don't listen to these guys. He says, I've faced this issue before. These, these guys are, aren't saying anything new. I faced this issue before when I was up in Jerusalem. And, and, I, and I talked about it with the head honchos uh, at the church in Jerusalem. And he says, this is what happened, verses 2 to 5. If you have your text, you can follow along. Otherwise, we'll have the big Bible up there. He says this. I went up to Jerusalem because of a revelation, and set before them, will we have it up? Thanks, Abby. She's going to be a doctor. Um, (laughs) That was really mean. Um, (laughs) You guys need a better pastor. Um, (laughs) I went up because of a a revelation and set before them, leaders in the church, uh, those privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who is with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. So these guys come in and say, hey, if you're a Gentile, you got to be circumcised. you got to follow these rules. If you're really going to live in the grace of Jesus, that's what they say. How does the church respond? Verse 5, to them... We did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So Paul says here, he says, hey, listen, I went to Jerusalem. I went to the center of Christianity at this point in history. And I wanted to go there because I wanted to check with the big dogs. I wanted to see if the gospel that I've been saying, that you're saved just by grace, if that was true. Is it just by grace or is it grace and all this other stuff. Grace and circumcision. In verses 4 to 5, he says, I was right. He says, we are actually set free in Christ. The good news is actually that good. And so he tells the Galatians, hey, don't be brought into slavery. He says, faith in Jesus saves. That's it. Don't add to it. It's just faith in Jesus that saves. That's it. Don't add to it. And friends, this is the truth of the gospel. Right? You're loved. You're forgiven. You're accepted. You're redeemed in in Jesus now and forever, regardless of your performance. That's the truth of the gospel. Now, as soon as I say all that, us religious folks get a little nervous, right? Right? Like, what about the rules, man? Right? Like, like, we got to live the Christian life. Aren't we supposed to be following Jesus? Aren't there things we should do and not do? What about the rules? Yes. Okay, they're there. Okay, so let's talk about them in a second. Because Paul's point, and my point this morning, is this. If we just go about living the Christian life, trying to follow Jesus, we'll inherently do it in such a way as if we're trying to earn God's favor. It's just the natural bent of our heart. 
Oh, Jesus said to do this, I'm just going to do it. Seems nice enough, but what ends up happening is we do it to earn God's favor. We do it to keep God's favor. And so what Paul's saying, what I'm saying is, first of all, we got to make clear in our heads the scandalous truth of the gospel. That my performance doesn't affect God's view of me. That I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm received in Jesus. And then from that, I begin to follow him. From that, I live the Christian life. See, if we understand the gospel, if you truly get the gospel, you inherently live all of your life in gratitude to what God has done for you in Jesus. That's just how it works. If you get the gospel, that's how it works. You live your life in gratitude in Jesus. And that, of course, changes how you live. We see this in Paul's life. Look at verse 10. I don't know if you guys caught this. It kind of seems like a throwaway verse. But he's like, leaving Jerusalem. And then he says this, Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so I love it because Paul makes clear, he's like, hey, yeah, we're free in Christ. There's nothing binding us down. God loves us regardless of our performance. You can do whatever you want. And so Paul's saying that. He's like, this is where I'm at. He says, all right, so what do I want to do? I know. I want to eagerly help the poor. That's his first move. Because that's how the gospel works, right? When you get what God has done for you in Christ, you inherently start loving other people because you know how much you've been loved. When you get what God's done for you in Jesus, you inherently start forgiving people. It's not a big deal. You can forgive people because you know how much you've been forgiven. And like Paul, you inherently start helping the poor because the gospel tells you how poor and needy you were and that God came for you. See, when we live our lives in light of the gospel, it's called living in step with the gospel. We live in step with this truth that we know. But the reality is, that's not always easy to do right? Like it is a struggle to live in step with the gospel. And we see this actually in section two of the text. So, so first part, Paul spells out, hey, this is the truth of the gospel, set free in Christ. Second part, he says, and let me tell you another story though about how a leader, Peter, he calls him Cephas in this part of the text. He says how Peter lived out of step with the gospel, a mistake that Peter made. And so that's what happens in the second section of, of chapter two of Galatians. And so basically what happens is this, is uh, Peter, he's a Jewish Christian, and, uh, and he starts eating with Gentiles, so people that are, are not Jews. And he starts hanging out with them. Uh, and, and then this happens. Something crazy happens. Look with me at uh, verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he, being Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So Peter's living in step with the gospel. He's embracing those that are different from him. He's embracing those that have different cultural values, that are of a different race than him. He's hanging out with them. He's, he's living in step with the gospel. But then what happens? Some guys show up and they say, hey, Peter, yeah, you're a Christian. That's great. Okay, but you're a Jewish Christian. And so you can't be associating with those dirty Gentiles. They're not like us. Don't spend time with them. It's just racism, right? Say, so, you, know, you, you can't do that. And what does Peter do? Verse 12. He draws back. He separates himself. And why does he do that? Fear. Why is he afraid? Approval. Approval, right? He's living for the approval of man. So, like, I don't know if you guys noticed this when we were reading verse 12, but did you see this and be like, when did we, like, end up back in junior high, right? That is exactly what this text is, right? It's junior high. Do you guys remember junior high? 
Sorry for the painful memories. It's painful for all of us, okay? We'll just commiserate together. Uh, but, but junior high, right, you got the nerd table and you got the cool kid table. Peter's over here hanging out with the nerds. Cool kids walk by. Peter's, oh, I don't know, man. I don't know these guys. Hey, what's up, right? He just walks away from the nerd table. He wants to be approved. He wants to be accepted. Why does he live like that? Why does that happen? Because Jesus wasn't enough for Peter. Because Jesus wasn't enough for Peter, he needed the approval of man. We actually see this throughout Peter's life. Uh, like after Jesus rises from the dead, there's this story where he's hanging out with Peter and he tells him how he's going to die, that he's going to be crucified upside down on a cross, uh, and tells him a whole bunch of other stuff that he doesn't want to hear. Uh, and so while that's happening, Peter's like, yeah, okay, what about that guy over there? And he points to the Apostle John. Is he going to, same thing going to happen to him? Like we, are we the same? And Jesus is like, what's wrong with you? And then when Jesus is, is, uh, is in court and he's, he's being sentenced to be crucified, if uh, you, you know the story, Peter's hanging out outside the courtroom, warming himself by the fire. Someone comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you with that guy in there? Don't you know him? Peter says, no, no, I don't know him. Two more people come up. Three different times, Peter says, no, I don't know that guy. Why does Peter do this? Because Jesus isn't enough for him. He's living for the approval of man. He's living for the approval of other people. See, Peter can, he can know the gospel but he consistently struggles to live in step with it because the approval of God is not enough for him. He's constantly seeking the approval of man. The reality is, I don't think he's alone in that. Right? I don't think he's alone in that. Like, did you ever have uh, that coach you could never please? Like, no matter what you did, you couldn't make them happy. Right? Or maybe you had a teacher or a boss or a parent. Like it's, it's usually a subordinate relationship is kind of how that works. But you have that person. Isn't that the best? I mean, you love that person, right? Like no matter what you do, you can't make them happy. So for me, it was a boss. Um, when I was in high school, I worked at a greenhouse. And my job at the end of the day was we had this big warehouse where we, we potted all the plants. And my job with a group of other dudes was, was to sweep this entire warehouse with a, with a big push broom. And I could never sweep right, which is weird because it's sweeping. Like, I didn't think there was a wrong way to do it. Um, but, but so, so I, I get to work, and it's the end of the day, and I'm, I'm sweeping away, pushing, pushing, pushing. And my boss came up to me, and he goes, Casper, make that broom dance. Okay, I assume that meant to go faster. So, so I get going, and, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sweeping faster. Away I go. Next day. Time to sweep the warehouse again. I get to work. I remember, got to make the broom dance, baby. So, so I get to work, and I'm, I'm going fast as I can. And he comes up to me, and he goes, Casper, that broom's not your girlfriend. You don't got to dance with it. Come on, man. Like, I don't know what you want from me. Am I dancing or am I not dancing, right? Like, couldn't make him happy. You ever have that? We're like, you, you long for approval from people outside yourself. We long for approval from people outside ourselves. And it's just like, isn't it just like something we're born with, right? Like I think of little kids, like mommy, aren't I pretty? Daddy, aren't I strong? Like it's just kind of this intrinsic desire inside of us that says, I need something outside myself to tell me I'm okay. I need something outside myself to validate my existence. Uh, here's what I mean. So one of my uh, most influential authors in my life over the last couple of years has been uh, the late novelist David Foster Wallace. And uh, what I love about him is he really has this way 
of kind of expressing what I think is in the back of a lot of our heads, but he just gets it all on paper, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've thought that way too. And, and it's really helpful. And so in uh, the last book that was published um, under his name, it was after his death, uh, it's called The Pale King. And, and in it, uh, he makes himself a character, and he describes his relationship to his college roommate, Steve. Uh, and I want to share a little bit of an excerpt from that story because I think he really hits it on the head as far as what it's like to, to have this struggle to be accepted and to have this validation from those outside of us. He says this, I'm pretending to sit here reading Albert Camus' The Fall for the Literature of Alienation midterm. But actually, I'm really concentrating on listening to Steve try to impress this girl over the phone. And I'm feeling embarrassment and contempt for him. And I'm thinking he's a poser. And at the same time, I am also uncomfortably aware of the times I've also tried to project the idea of myself as hip and cynical so as to impress someone. Meaning that not only do I sort of dislike Steve, which in all honesty I do, but part of the reason I dislike him is that when I listen to him on the phone, it makes me see similarities and realize things about myself that embarrass me. But I don't know how to quit doing them. Like if I quit trying to seem nihilistic, even just to myself, then what would happen? What would I be like? See, Wallace, who's not a Christian, is tapping into, though, this search for approval that's inside all of us, right? He says, hey, I, I see it in my roommate, and it drives me nuts because it makes me see to myself, and I want people to see me as being hip and cynical, and he says, and, and I, it embarrasses me that I live like that, but he says, I don't know how to live any other way. And I don't think he's alone in that. The reality is, I think this is so true for so many of us. If I could just be seen as smart, if I could just be seen as successful, if I could just be seen as someone who made an impact in someone else's life, if I could just be seen as talented, as long as I have the approval of my family, as long as I have the approval of my friends, as long as I have the approval of this guy or that girl, as long as I have that, whatever your that is, then I'm okay, then I'm validated. See, whatever that is for you, in our text, Paul calls that a work of the law. A work of the law. And he's got something to say about works of the law. Look with me at verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. See, a work of the law, definition here, a simple one for you, is taking anything but Jesus and saying, God, accept me because of this. That's a work of the law. Taking anything but Jesus and saying, God, accept me because of this. Now, if you've been tracking with me this sermon, uh, first of all, Good for you, all right? Way to hang in there, okay? Uh, but if you have been tracking, you're saying, yeah, Gabe, I get that, right? That, that before God, apart from Je that nothing apart from Jesus makes us acceptable before God. But you haven't been talking about being approved before God. You've been talking about how we all have this desire to be approved by others, horizontally, by humanity. Yes, I have. The reality is this. Like, if you 
really grasp the approval of God in your life? Like if what he thinks of you is number one in your life, if that's your focus, if that's your biggest concern, and you see that he's declared you innocent, that he says you're my kid who I love, who I'm with forever, you're totally approved unconditionally for the rest of your life. If that's number one thought in your head, then the approval of other people takes a pretty far back seat, right? And so the reality is, if you're struggling with the approval of humanity, it's because you've got an issue with the approval of God. Your search for approval horizontally is pointing out to you that you need to focus in on your approval vertically. You get that? Make sense? So I say that, and some of you say, okay, 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 Gabe. I get that. Grew up in the church, Christian, my whole life. I know I'm approved by God. But you saying that doesn't stop me from just living for the approval of man. Like, it's not happening. I still seek for validation from others. Well, first of all, let's just recognize the struggle, right? We saw that that St. Peter has this same struggle. And I just hate to break it to you guys. Like, he is a better Christian than you will ever be, just so you know. Like, he started the church. He's a big deal, okay? You're not that. Um, And he still struggled for validation from uh, horizontally. So let's recognize that's real, but let's also recognize that God has given us a solution in Jesus Christ. He really has. Verse 16, if we can have it back up for a second, Abby, says we're justified by faith in Christ. And so what this text is getting at, if you caught this, is like the core doctrine in Christian faith. This is like the foundation of foundations for us as Christians. Justification by faith in Christ. And I say that word, justification, we all get a little scared, right? That's a big, scary word. What's going on there? Uh, or maybe you just fall asleep. Whatever it is, let's, let's, let's break it down. So justification is a courtroom term. Uh, and it's a term that, that was used for when a judge in a courtroom would declare someone innocent, right? In other words, you're, you're justified in your behavior. Okay, so this is the charge that I've been brought against you. No, you're in the right to do that. You're innocent. You're justified in your behavior. And so uh, I teach it to our, well, so in, in the context of Christianity, it's God saying to you as a Christian, hey, because of Jesus' work on your behalf and your trust in him, you're innocent. It's God declaring you innocent. And so I teach it to our confirmation kids like this. Justification means it's just as if I've never sinned. Justification, just as if I've never sinned. And also, just as if I've always obeyed. So that when God looks at you, he sees you just as if you've never sinned. He sees you just as if you've always obeyed. Now, I say all that, and that maybe feels a little dry. Okay, Gabe, yeah, I still get it, but still struggling with the approval of man. And here's why. Because the doctrine of justification needs to go from your head to your heart. It's got to move. It's got to move. And this is how it happens with Paul in verse 20. Look at what he says, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, when justification, when the gospel moves from your head to your heart, you see that by faith you're so cemented to Jesus Christ that it's as if you're one person with him. That's what Paul's saying here. 
when justification, when that beauty of the gospel moves from your head to your heart, you see that by faith you are so cemented to Jesus, it's as if you're one person with him. This really uh, hit home for me recently. Uh, so I was in court a few months ago. It's cool. Okay, we're cool. I'm cool. Uh, I, was, I was there uh, helping out some friends and, and walking alongside them in, in the midst of a tough time. And, uh, and so I'm there in court. Now, like, I haven't been in a courtroom uh, since, like, fourth grade field trip, you know, for social studies. So this is, like, my first time back. And, and I'm sitting there in the courtroom, and I was watching all these other cases happen while we were waiting for my, my friend's case to, to happen. And I'm sitting there, and I, and I was thinking two things. Uh, the first thought that entered my head was, I am woefully underdressed for this courtroom, um, which perhaps comes as no surprise to many of you. Uh, but the, the second thing that came to my head was, I don't know if you've been in a courtroom recently, the second thing that popped in my head is, the judge has a lot of power. Like, in this courtroom, he can do whatever he wants. He's got so much power. Like, have you, have you been in a courtroom? Like, it is crazy. Like, I have a buddy who's a, who's a lawyer, and he told me a story about a, another lawyer buddy of his who, like, they're in court, and his buddy was, was on his cell phone, and the judge didn't like that his buddy was on the cell phone, so he goes, hey, you, go stand in the corner until I'm ready for you. He makes this, court, this lawyer go stand in the corner. He's a little kid, right? Professional guy wearing a suit that costs more than my house. Go stand in the corner, right? Amazing. So much power, and he can do that because he's the judge. Judge has got all the say. And so as I've been reflecting on that experience in light of this text, it's, it's blown me away. Because just think about this. The judge with all his power, you got to stand when he says stand. you got to sit when he says sit. you got to go in the corner when he says go in the corner. That judge with all his power, verse, 15, verse 16, says he's declared you innocent. It says that because of Jesus, you're innocent. But then verse 20 it gets even better. It gets even better because it's as if after the judge declares you innocent, it's as if he gets down from his chair, walks up to you, gives you a hug, and says, not only are you innocent, but for the rest of your life, I am going to be your biggest advocate. I am going to be your best friend. I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. Friends, doesn't that just like grip your heart? This is what God has done for you in Jesus. He lives in you. He walks with you. He's approved you. So won't you stay in step with his grace? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your approval. God, help us to see that you have declared us innocent, that you've joined yourselves to us. You walk with us. We're not alone. Lord, teach us to trust in that truth. Teach us to rest in that grace. May you be number one in our lives so that we're not fraught with insecurity and paralyzed with fear but we recognize that the God of the universe has called us to be his own. Pray for all my friends that we would find hope in that truth. And pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.